0: Our scripture reading comes this morning from the New Testament the book of Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 28 Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 28 now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus where then is boasting it is excluded on what principle on that of observing the law no but on that of faith for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law this is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Nick and his family are away, as you know by now. Um, he'll be back by next Sunday, but uh, we're thankful that he and his family get this opportunity to kind of get away, time for them, that uh, they all be refreshed. But in the meantime, we continue on uh, with our series in James. Uh, but first, let's let's pray. Father, uh, we come before you this morning. Uh, It's just people that are in desperate need of you and your word. And so I pray that you would use me, uh, somebody who is woefully uh, unqualified uh, to be your servant, and yet you choose me anyways. And I pray that you would uh, uh, deliver this message to your people, that they would hear it and receive it, and Father, that they would uh, seek to honor you in obeying it. I pray all this in your name. Uh, So last week, Pastor Nick, he talked about favoritism and how we as Christians need to live just lives uh, by treating all people equally, not just those that we think have special status. Uh, But that raises questions too, right? Like James has been telling us thus far that we need to be living a certain way. But if you read Romans, which we just did because I made you uh, just now with Jennifer reading the liturgy. But if you listen to what Paul was saying, he was saying that we are saved by faith. And that's one of the most basic tenets uh, of Christianity that we have, that we do not earn salvation, but that, uh, that there's no way to gain God's approval. As James said in our passage last week, if you break one law, you're a lawbreaker. God doesn't accept lawbreakers. That's a problem for us, right? But fortunately for us, Christ, he took on flesh, he became humans for us, he lived a perfect life, and not just by avoiding sins of commission, but... Also in avoiding sins of omission, right? God was perfectly active. Uh, He always did what ought to be done. He lived in a way that was perfectly pleasing to the Father. And Jesus lived that life for us, and then he died for us, allowing us to sort of ride on his coattails, so to speak, riding them right out of death and into eternal life. And it is our faith in Christ and all that he was and is that imputes or gives us his righteousness, I am not righteous, but I trust the one who is, and therefore, through Christ's sacrifice, I am made righteous, Romans 5.1. So on the one hand, we have James saying that faith without works is dead, but Paul saying that we are saved by faith alone. And so the question is, can these both be true? And if so, how? Right? And they might seem contradictory at first glance, or maybe even second glance, but uh, we're going to kind of work through that this morning. So I've explained Paul's stance already, but let's look at James's exact words uh, in verses 14 through 20. This is uh, chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? So James says that uh, faith without works is dead, but if you notice, he's not denying what Paul says in Romans, but actually he's clarifying Paul's words. Here's what he's saying. Some of us in the church, we grow up knowing about Jesus. That is, they can give a rough summary of the gospel and they even believe it to be true. But Paul says that you're saved by faith and James steps in to say, what kind of faith saves you? Or you could simply say that true faith is not just about the facts of Jesus, but that there's more to it. There's an investment of some sort in those facts right and so the example given by james indicates a specific type of faith that is motivated by love for jesus james says that if a poor person comes up to you and asks for help that you ought to give it okay this kind of faith not only recognizes jesus's righteousness becoming our own but is also deeply moved by that you don't just know that you're a sinner you feel it you recognize. Uh, where you were but after salvation you don't just know that you're forgiven uh, or that you're adopted or that you've been made clean or that your life has meaning you feel it right this is a reality now for you Uh, and it's rooted in the person of christ Uh, pastor tom he often used the phrase pie in the sky theology and i i always love that Uh, you know it's this idea that you believe things for no real reason other than you just kind of hope that it's true right you want it to be true and, uh, and there are people out there, probably in here, honestly, that claim to be a Christian simply because they like the idea of heaven, that that's sort of enough for their faith. But if you're a Christian because you think it has nice ideas, I'm not sure you really have placed your faith in Christ. That can be a hard reality, but, uh, but here's what I mean, right? So there's this, this sort of thing going on, but James is almost addressing the opposite here. He, he says someone who has all the proper reasoning but it doesn't mean anything to them personally, right? It's more of a statement of how they see reality or how they want things to be, rather than a lived experience. And so our faith, it has to be personal. It has to be an experienced faith. So for example, you don't just think that God has forgiven you for your sins, but that he has forgiven you specifically from whatever sins had you in bondage. Uh, You know, you could say, I was a slave to sin, but Jesus gave me freedom is not just a fact, but a testimony, right? Jesus shone a light in my life that guided me away from destructive choices, or Jesus convicted me of how prideful I was and changed how I saw others, right? There's a difference there uh, if you see it, right? That, that it's not just Jesus died for my sins, but it, there's a specific application of how Jesus died for them and what that means. So faith is a particular knowledge applied uh, going back to a few months ago when I, I preached on Proverbs, wisdom saves you because wisdom has that sense of knowledge that you live life by. Knowing that blades are sharp and can cut me badly is one thing. But taking that knowledge and applying it so that I don't stick my hands in a food processor that's running, okay? that's, like, that's wisdom, right? And without that, you're not really helping yourself. It's good to know that they're sharp, but you got to do something with that knowledge. So in the same way, James is saying that your faith must be real and authentic and personal. And that if it is, you will live differently. You will live out of that understanding. So he's not denying Paul uh, and saying that we're saved by works. He's just saying that the kind of faith uh, will lead to works. And so uh, I I feel this is really important for us to understand. So my apologies if you already got it uh, and you feel I'm just beating it into you at this point. But... Um, But to help point out the difference between uh, what I'm calling a manufactured faith, which is that well-reasoned but ultimately cold faith, versus an organic one, one that is experienced and and sort of flows naturally. Uh, To help show the difference between those two, I'm going to briefly share my testimony and note how I relate the events of my life to the work of God and the impact that it had on me, right? So uh, I was born. 1990 uh you know in michigan right just outside of detroit uh my my uh my birth mom uh was with uh, her husband who is not not my dad actually uh and they actually went and uh they got high on heroin they were uh, at their dealer's house with my older sisters in the car they just had to wait there for three hours and that sent her into labor actually uh, with me and so they then went to the hospital together uh, where I was born and uh, so of course she was smart enough to know that being at the hospital with all of this going on they were obviously going to notice uh, that uh, the substances in her system and so she actually just kind of quietly took off uh, and so uh, so as a result of that you know obviously nurses and everything they made arrangements and so I was, I was put into foster care uh, but the Lord would have it that I was not just put her in foster care, but that I was put into what ultimately was my adoptive mom's home. And so, uh, and so God was watching over me this whole time. Uh, And this is a good thing too. I mean, obviously that was a bad situation, but uh, I had uh, another sister when she was eight months old, died of SIDS, but it was almost certainly related to my mother's drug use. And so uh, there's no telling. Like if I had gone home uh, with my birth mom, you know, what would have happened to me? And so God was arranging all of these things together, uh, working them. Um, and so, uh, but I was adopted into a single parent home. I, I grew up without a dad and uh, a lot of my childhood, I, I longed for one, you know, I saw all my friends with some, uh, with, with their dads and, and saw the special relationship that they had. And, and I didn't have that. And so I, I wanted that. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I was an angry, kid. I was bitter as I, I looked at that and, uh, and honestly it was flat out mean to people. I don't, I don't know if it was just, I didn't feel like I had my space or what, but, uh, but I was not, I was not very nice to people. And, uh, and, and on top of all that, you know, so I don't have this father figure and I'm kind of looking around and, you know, I grew up in, you know, rural Midwest, much like a place like this. And all of the male figures in my life, they were all like manly men, which, you know, if you look at me, you, realize I'm not like your prototypical manly man, right? And so, uh, and so I just, I felt out of place. You know, there wasn't there was another guy like me, you know, there wasn't one that necessarily wanted to be sitting down reading books or, uh, you know, playing video games I Was sort of shamed, you know, but I enjoyed playing video games and, you know, and, and I didn't like the outdoors, but that's all they wanted to do. They wanted to go out and hunt and, you know, I was just like, you know, as little time as I can spend outside that is, you know, that's the best for me. Uh, but, you know, so I, I'm, 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 I'm feeling out of place. I don't really have this sense of who I am. You know, I'm like, what does it even mean to be a man, right? Because uh, I, I don't fit any of the models that I, that I see. Um, but before too long, you know, I was in junior high and I, uh, you know, started going to youth group. My sister had become a Christian and Man, she was totally different. You know, she was mean to me all the time. But then she came to Christ, and all of a sudden, she was really nice to me. And So it was like, whoa! Like, what's going on here? You know? Uh, and so she she invited me to go to youth group, and so I started going. And uh, you know, eventually, I came to Christ, and it, it was just this moment of uh, of finding who I was in Christ. That you know, through Christ, I. I found I was adopted again into this new family with God, and this time I have a father right and so there 's this new identity and it was this amazing experience and now, like as a result of that, after hearing about how Christ laid his life down for me, uh, despite the fact that I was this awful wretched, sinful person uh, god God uh, loves me anyways, and he chose me and so uh, now, as a result of that, I think of myself way less i 'm not a I mean, I'm still selfish, but I would say I'm way less selfish than I used to be. Uh, and, you know, I think most would describe me as a kind-hearted person. I, that was not me before. Uh, and I want to serve a minister because I want others to experience salvation like I did. And so that's my story. You know, and those events, they still shape me today. Like, those are the things uh, that color the way that I see the world. Why I do the things I do today all stem from that, right? And so... Uh, You know, and how I view myself in this world is all connected to how Jesus views me. So I serve our youth because I care so much about them. That was when I came to faith uh, because I know what it's like to be a teen and because I know how much Jesus offers them. Like, I want them to see that because that was what happened with me. But you see, uh, I serve my wife because I recognize what a gift she is to me because I, I know Jesus cares for me. And that beauty is inspiring. Uh, Leslie Showers, yesterday, uh, at our dear Pam's funeral, uh, shared that her mother was such a servant and that she was so because of her faith. And I didn't get the chance to ask Leslie directly, but I took that to mean that uh, through Christ's example of, of serving others, Pam also dedicated her life to serving others. Uh, and so she was motivated to, to serve in the same way that Christ did. And so getting back to James then, right? Like having this authentic faith, this true faith is like making sense of your world through what Jesus says. So when James brings up the objection some might have that, that their faith is lived out in their mind and doesn't need to be lived out with their hands, he says, even the demons believe in God, okay? Even the demons believe the gospel, okay? So think about that. Like in what way is your faith different than Satan's and if you don't really have an answer for that then you know that's a red flag how is your faith different than Satan's right Satan knows more about God than we do he was there in the earliest days he saw God working directly from the beginning he saw firsthand right he he was there at the crucifixion of Jesus he knows the gospel as a series of facts And that's my point, right? Like he knows it to be true. So why does Satan not experience salvation, right? It's because he doesn't want it because his hope lies elsewhere, okay? He's not connected to Jesus. He just knows about Jesus. And so when a person comes to faith and they put their trust in Jesus, they're united to him, right? That union, it's called adoption in the Bible. You become a part of the family of God. And just like Noah's family was saved for being related to him, We, too, will be saved for being related to Christ, who is our brother and our co-heir. And so the difference between Satan's belief and yours ought to be that yours is a testimony to God's goodness and glory, right? Satan's belief is a source of frustration and hopelessness. Christian belief saves you because it unites you to Christ. Satan's belief condemns him because it exposes him as outside of the family of God. So you have to believe more than just, you know, who Jesus is, okay? It's not not facts, okay? It's a relationship. What relationship do you have with Christ? James turns our attention then to the examples of this idea in the Old Testament, these heroes of the faith. So let's read the rest of the passage, verses 21 through 26. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works and receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So let's start by looking at each of these examples. Abraham's story is pretty famous because it's, I think, unfathomable to us, right? What uh, what Abraham is asked to do. We struggle with the request that God makes of Abraham to, to sacrifice his son, his only son. You know, so obviously there's the sacrificing your son part, that's really hard to fathom, right? Uh, Who could imagine killing one of their children? But, you know, it's a very dark thought for us. But on top of that, the the situation that Abraham was in makes it even harder to understand. Abraham wanted to be a father for so long. He was denied until he was in his 90s, right? Further still, God had promised him so many amazing blessings that were all tied to him having this son. And so he finally gets a child and he spends a few years with him, delighting in him as he watches him grow, right? I mean, you know, for those of you who are parents, you've, you've experienced this, right? Like I think of my own son who's uh, just in the last couple months has learned to say so many words and it's, you just delight in hearing him talk. Uh, and so, you know, you get this, uh, you're beaming with pride as you watch them. So you can imagine with Abraham, it's the same thing, right? And so now Abraham, he's feeling all this and now God asks him, Uh, to take his son and sacrifice him to the Lord. In a heart wrenching moment, Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So you may have heard this before, but we see Abraham's faith on display, not just in the going forward with it, but he tells a servant that he expects to come back down with Isaac, right? Uh, Yeah, there's some evidence of that there. Abraham, he doesn't know what's going on, but it seems like he is expecting his son to die in the sacrifice, but that God will somehow raise him from the dead. Okay, there's, there's faith there. He doesn't understand it, but he's going to take this action because he trusts God. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he trusts God. He knows that his promises are true. And so his faith it didn't give him perfect knowledge, but it was the reason he was able to climb that mountain. He trusted God and so he was willing to obey. And so James, he then, he takes us to Rahab. Uh, Rahab was not a woman we would naturally see, uh, as a woman of faith. But the remarkable thing was that uh, when, she was, when she first came into contact with God, she believed and trusted in him. She was a woman of the night before, but she saw the coming judgment on her people and she repents in response. She says, I've heard of the, the great works of your Lord and I, basically, I bow down to him. This is my God. And uh, and so Joshua and the Hebrew army, with the backing of the Lord, they're coming in to take the city of hers. In order to be successful though, they needed to send spies to scout the city. And so Rahab offers to hide uh, these Hebrew spies. And in return, she and her family were promised safety uh, so long as she tied a scarlet cord outside her window, which would mark kind of where she and her family were hiding uh, during the invasion and she did so and so her family uh, she and her family were spared so we learn from these stories that people acted out of their faith as the text said Abraham's faith was made complete but what does that mean it means that his faith was tested and proven true you see we can say that we trust God with our whole lives but until our lives are at stake that's a sentiment that maybe Uh, is a little bit empty, right? We can't really say for certain uh, that this is how things would go. But this goes back to the beginning of the letter, back to chapter 1, when I preached on this, where James says that our trials make us complete. They make us mature. Uh, And as hard as they can be, they give us testimonies to share about God's goodness. You can say God is above all else, including your finances, but that can be seen as an empty sentiment until you experience financial difficulty and still trust God, right? And so, uh, as difficult as those things are, when we come through them, we are called God's friend, just as Abraham was. Christ's righteousness becomes our own when that organic faith develops. But notice the other parts of this, right? They didn't really do anything. God did. Abraham just had to climb a mountain but he did uh, did not have to sacrifice his son. Rahab and her family just had to wait in their house. This is not a faith that is necessarily without doubts, right? They might've been questioning as they're going through this, you know, is God really going to come through? A friend of mine reminded me of an example given by DA Carson, that the people during the Passover, okay, they were saved so long as they had the lamb's blood over their door, okay? And so, uh, some people may have put that blood up, thinking, man, I have no clue if this is gonna work. I just, you know, I don't know. And they may have been shaking, right? Uh, that night as they're just like, is, is the Lord going to spare my son? And the reality is, is, as long as the blood was on the door, like there was no, there was no other system, like nobody was knocking and saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, are, are you firm in your belief, <laughs> right? Like, no, th- you just put the blood on the door, and uh, the angel of death would pass over you. And so, and that was all it took. There was no level of faith, right? Um, And so it is with you, okay? You may find your faith to be weak, but as I said last time I preached, your faith is in a strong God, no matter how weak you are. Jesus is enough to overcome your weakness, is he not? As I said last time, you just gotta get in the boat and allow him to take you to shore. So let's get to the main point of James here, then, uh, in this passage. Our faith must create in us a natural outpouring of all that God has shown us. So going back to that poor person asking for care, will you show them the care that God has shown you? James is upset in this passage because uh, this is not a minor issue. It wasn't then, and it certainly isn't now. As you know, you know, I work with our young people, uh, and one of the biggest hang-ups that the younger generation has with the older generations, uh, is Christians being hypocritical. Okay? They say, oh, you know, you say, yeah, we, we need to love everyone, we need to care for them, but then they look around at Christians and they, they don't always see that happening. And so they then doubt, is this, is this faith real? Is Jesus real? Uh, and so our young folks, you know, for whatever flaws you, you think they might have, they are incredibly in tune with people. And they can sense when you're being inauthentic uh, and they'll call you on it, as I'm sure some of you are aware. Uh, they have a good nose for hypocrisy. And so they, they see a lot of Christians claiming to care for the poor, but they don't always see a lot of action actually happening to uh, take care of the needy. Uh, and so I'll, I'll say more on that in just a second, but I do also want to kind of push back a little bit on uh, some of the younger folks here, or at least what I see with some frequency, which is they make the mistake of equating a person's uh, political philosophy with care for the soul. Uh, and so this is wrong for two reasons. Number one, the action uh, of voting, for example, right? That's only a small part of caring for the needy. Okay, Some young folks make the mistake of thinking that because they voted for policy X, Y, or Z, that they've done their part. They've, they've taken care of the poor. And the Bible would actually say, you know, I mean, this is sort of a foreign concept to the Bible, but the Bible would say that like, we personally need to be involved, that we need to be uh, uh, caring for them. And so voting may or may not be a good thing. Uh, Voting for a particular thing may or may not be a good thing, but uh, regardless of what you're doing politically, like you should be actively engaging with with the needy. Okay, you need to be uh, taking care of the people that come in your path. Uh, and so uh the second point then that i, I would say to our, our younger folks is that you know a person may be directly involved in a way that you're unaware of uh, i I think of a, a friend that I have uh, on social media who uh is not shy about uh, posting uh, all of his right wing uh conservative policies he you know he champions them he says this is what we need to do uh and so I I see frequently uh, some of his liberal friends that will go on there and just be like, well, you know, you're a Christian. Like, how could you possibly vote for this thing? You know, how can you support this? And so uh, they see some hypocrisy. Uh, And what many of them don't know is that, you know, this is a guy that I know uh, from serving together uh, at that ministry in Chicago, working with men who were prostituting themselves. I mean, this is a guy who is out there at 2, 3 in the morning in Boys Town going out, grabbing coffee with his people, uh, listening to their stories, caring for them, right? And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to say whether he's right or wrong in his political policies, what, whatever his opinions are. I'm just here to say, you know, I think that should color how we view things, right? Like, this guy is actually out there doing things for the poor, for the needy, right? And so, you know, who are we to say, you know, I, I just think we make too much of that. We need to be careful with that. That said, our young, young folks, okay, they do have a point. Regardless of what opinions you, you have on politics, I, I see a disconnect between how believers see the needy and how Jesus does. Like, man, I, I don't care how you vote, right? Like, but like, how do you see those people that you're voting for policies on, right? Do you see them as entitled, lazy, good for nothings? Because if that's, you know, if that's the case, at that point, you're in sin, kind of regardless of what awesome policy you're voting for. You are in sin because you're not seeing people the way that Jesus does. Uh, and so, you know, again, forget voting. Like, even if you're su- serving at the soup kitchen, if you're looking down on the people that you're serving, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, you, you're forgetting your own testimony. You need to remember what Christ has done for you so that when you look at other people, you recognize them uh, as, as people that, are, you're, that you're not better than. Right, You're on the same level, and uh, to do otherwise is to deny the things that, that Christ has done for you. Uh, so this comes back to our identity in Christ, right? knowing who we are and where we came from. Uh, God frequently reminds his people that they were once dead, that they were slaves, that they were foreigners. And then out of that, he then says, so treat them like I treated you in that circumstance right like Israel was supposed to care for the immigrants why because God says you were an immigrant right you didn't have a land to call home and so you need to treat the people that don't have a home uh, lovingly Uh, and so you know he cared for us regardless of of the fact that we were sinners that, that we were slaves and foreigners when you deny someone food Jesus is offended because he has offered you himself the bread of life And he's like i gave you food both physically and spiritually so who are you to deny others that same thing so i want to acknowledge that james lived in a very different uh, world Uh, you know in his world there weren't organizations to care for the needy right so if you denied someone food it's not like they just go to a soup kitchen they like no they now just have to find somebody that's willing to help them out right that's i mean that's why it was so sinful, right? Because you're, you're just passing the responsibility on to someone else. Um, and, and that's unacceptable to James, right? He's saying, you were saved. You were saved by God. And so by leaving it in the hands of someone else, you know, when you do that, you're essentially robbing God. Okay? He put that person in your path, and it provided you the means to care for them, and you chose not to. That's a problem, right? You've mismanaged what God has given you. Uh, you know, like I said, today things are different, so this doesn't apply directly in the same way. Uh, you know, for something like panhandling, for example. Um, but we need to ask ourselves, okay? Uh, you know, how do we help the people that we come into contact with? Okay, what is my responsibility in this circumstance? Okay, uh, too often we want to just pass it on. You know, uh, I'm not going to help you. You can get help elsewhere. Uh, You know, as Christians, what is my responsibility? Anyways, sometimes uh, there are different ways to tackle an issue. And we shouldn't get caught up in only seeing one way. But how do we care, though? Some of you struggle because there's so much out there that's wrong with the world. And you get discouraged. You're like King Theoden uh, in Lord of the Rings who says, you know, what can man do against such reckless hate? And so quickly, I'll, I'll say this. And uh, closing with this. You weren't meant to know every ill of the world. And you couldn't if you tried anyways, right? We live in an in information age where we know what's going on all around the world at all given hours. But we can rest in the fact that God has only called us where we are. Uh, from there, it becomes practical. You can't help everywhere, so help somewhere, right? I don't think you need to go hunting for opportunities. Like, there's plenty here. If you're not seeing any, like, leave your house, man. I don't know. Like, they're, they're out there. Uh, and listen for the things that break your heart, okay? When driving around Rockford, if you're just constantly like, man, you know, I just, I see these single mothers. They're in tough situations. Like, that might be God calling you to do something about it, Right? I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just volunteering at the pregnancy care center or something. But, but you know, listen to the ways that God is speaking to you. Address them. Don't ignore them. Don't just feel bad. That's not helping anyone, right? Do something about it. And simply see every opportunity put before you as a means of ministry. Ideally, every person we encounter with should get a glimpse of Jesus. And we don't need to make some huge gesture every time, but a simple awareness of who we are Uh, and, 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 you know, where we are. Jesus was raised from the dead, and so have all his followers, right? We've all been raised from the dead, okay? If you became a Christian, it was because you were dead in sin and God raised you. And so now we need to proclaim that gospel hope and joy to the world through our faith-inspired actions. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for you for a God who cares about us, who loves us, who sees us. Father, you see us for who we are. You see us as sinners, as people who rebel against you, and yet you chose to save us anyways. You laid down your life for us. We are thankful for your word and for the ways that it convicts us, Lord, that that it shakes us out of living passively in this world but instead calls us to live actively for you. Father, I thank you for the testimonies that you've given us. Lord, personally, for my life, all the ways that you were watching over me and guiding me to this moment here and now, and for the ways in which you've guided everyone that's here to the here and now. Thank you for the, the wonderful, uh, saving work that you've done in the hearts of the saints here. Father, we pray for the humility to serve, Lord, that we would not see others uh, as lower than us. Lord, that we would recognize, as D.A. Carson said, that we're all beggars, that Christians just know where to find food. And so, Lord, help us to treat others the way that you would treat them, that we would offer them, show them where to find the living bread. And I pray that you would reveal opportunities for us that, that we would see just in our regular, everyday life, that you would point out the ways in which we can be serving, the ways in which we can be demonstrating Christ to the world. And I pray uh, also for the Holy Spirit to give us the courage to actually carry out those actions, to actually do the awkward thing and go up and talk to the homeless person, or to have the courage to sign up and volunteer at a ministry that's near and dear to our hearts. Father, and I, I... I thank you for the reassurance that we have of our faith, Lord, that we will inevitably fail uh, in these regards, that we will inevitably uh, deny someone the love and kindness that you've shown us. And yet, through Christ, your, uh, his righteousness has been imputed to us, and we can stand on solid ground even when we fail. And so we thank you for that. We pray this all in your son's precious name. Amen.